0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning we're kind of in the scene series. We have finished the Behold and Be Bold series, and I trust God has stirred in your hearts as He captivated us and called us to be captivated by Him. And in being captivated by Him, He calls us to great stories. He calls us to moments of faith, like changing careers for whatever he calls, like pioneering. For some of you, it's going to be, God has called me and gripped me to start a business. We talk about planting churches. I want to tell you, God wants to plant businesses. Where men and women who are hurting because there are no jobs in our nation can find economic strength in your business, in the shadow that you can bring in those places because God has graced and gifted you. It's what he wants to do in us. And um, we are so proud to be a part of that story. Can I just make one statement about the big week we've had? We've had a big week as a, as a nation. Everyone know that? It's been a big week. Some of you, I saw some of your white aunties there. I saw, I saw you on Facebook. I saw there's some funny things on Facebook right now. Nothing like watching a white guy toy toy. But, um, uh, but guys are saying, what is the church's position? And tell us, Mark, what is your position? To be honest... Uh, we're not taking a firm. That, that moment on Friday, to me, was a political event. And, and you, but you know what? I went anyway. And I gave it my best shot. With, oh. and, and, but here's what I think we've got to take away as a church. As our mandate to understand what God is doing in our nation. Our nation is hurting. If I took one thing away from Friday, standing with I don't know how many people. It was overwhelming, actually. The people of this nation are hurting. You know what the church's mandate is? To make sure that we are on our knees. To make sure that more than speaking about the leaders of this nation, more than judging and criticizing, more than having public opinions and reading a million blocks, we are spending more time than all of that. Do that. But I would ask that you spend more time talking to God about our nation. Spend more time talking to God about the leaders of this nation. Spend more time doing that. I believe that is our solid mandate. I believe it doesn't change. It doesn't matter who's in power in any nation. And if we could feel the pain of this nation right now, I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed on Friday by the pain of this nation. But I can't take that pain to anger. I can't take that pain to militants. I take that pain to pray. And in that place, we find Him. And, and we have set aside a moment. And, and as you know, many of you might know, there's probably... Anywhere between five hundred thousand or more people gathering in bloom to pray on the twenty second of April, we are gonna take that day to pray and fast as a community here, because not everyone can get to bloom, and we're gonna create moments on the on the Saturday afternoon just to come here. It's an inconvenient time. I know we got to deal with that sometimes. But we're coming to a powerful king, and we're gonna pray for our nation. We're gonna trust God to do amazing things in this nation. Is that good? So, we'll keep telling, we'll share that, um, the dates of that, and we'll keep praying. It's a Saturday afternoon. I know that's not practical and convenient, but I think God's going to call us at moments like this to gather and to pray. And that is our mandate. So, if you want to know, that's where we're at. Let's be praying. Let's be praying. If if you don't have regular prayer and you don't, can you put our nation right up there on your list of prayers? Wonderful. I'm feeling naughty today, and you guys are very quiet, which means. (laughs) My my nature means then I overcompensate <laughs> to get you excited. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try restrain that. No. no. Happy birthday, Andrew, for Friday, buddy. Bless you. So it's Palm Sunday. It's the week before Easter. It's the, it's the moment in scripturally where Jesus walks in and they sing Hosanna and their palms all over the street. I want to say as we take this moment, we take these moments building up to Easter as believers, what our... Our humble response is, is to not celebrate moments and meetings. Our, um, our response is to say we are overwhelmed again and afresh by the cross. I want to tell you there was nothing passive about the cross, and there was nothing watered down about the cross. And I've been gripped as I've looked, and, and because what happens often at Easter time is we gather and we read John Piper's books about the 50 things we receive because Jesus died on the cross. And I'm telling you, it's unbelievable theology. And the church gathers around the benefits of the cross. And next Friday and Saturday, as we gather, and we, we, I ask, would you ask for courage to invite friends, family, work colleagues, people you've just met next to your kids' school functions. Gather them. Because we're going to talk about the benefits of the cross. But I've realized that often as Christians, we remain there forever. And we're talking about the benefits of the cross. But actually, the cross calls us to a life. It calls us to something bigger. The cross changes everything it changes the way we parent it changes the way that we step into situations or circumstances it changes the reason we walk on streets with hundreds of thousands it changes our hope for that moment the cross of Jesus Christ it changes everything captivates anything everything and there are these incredible benefits of the cross I want to tell you just a couple at the cross Jesus was taking your place That cross was my place. It was my sin that put him there. And he took my place on that cross. I want to say, at the cross, Jesus took my curse. The curse of sin that should have been upon me. Jesus took that. Jesus wore that. Jesus said, actually, I will take that for me. And I've got to go again as a believer. And I've got to go, thank you, Jesus. And then it says, Jesus, he was clothing us. Took a cloth. Of shame and guilt. Stood with this man last week. He's about a foot taller than me, with shoulders three times wider than mine, weeping under the shame and guilt of something that happened. I get to tell him about Jesus. He says, Sir, you don't wear a cloak of shame and guilt, you wear a cloak of righteousness. That is Jesus. It's the promise, it's the benefit that we get, it's the gospel. And then Jesus tore, and it says the, the veil was torn from heaven to earth. Why can we worship? Why can we spend time and have communion with the Father in heaven? Isn't that the most amazing, amazing privilege? These are the benefits of the cross, and we're going to speak about them for the next weeks to come. But I, I wanted to take this moment and to challenge us. See, sometimes we get caught up in the benefits. I don't know about you. It's like uh, I, I, uh, there's, a, there's an amazing story about Gabe. He, he likes to say yes to people. He was that guy. No, you guys wouldn't believe that. you see him. But, he, but as I knew him 10 years ago as a young man just out of school, and someone phoned, and it was the early days when those gym guys phoned. Now, if you know Gabe, he's not spent many years of his life in gym. It's not been his thing. But a gym phoned, and he just couldn't find himself saying no to this guy. So he carried on. The guy was telling him all the benefits of this incredible contract. And he journey. his he says, mates walked in the room. Gabe was busy signing up to a two-year gym contract. He said, what are you doing, buddy? Got to, it's not all about the benefits. I want to speak this morning and actually the reason that, that, here's my premise, and I haven't worded it very well, but I think sometimes we can spend our lives so enamored with the cross So caught up, and Christians, we sing about the cross, the cross, the cross, and I love the cross, but here's what the cross did for me. The cross means I can live a story on the other side of the cross, full of life, full of courage. At the cross, he took my sin. At the cross, he took my guilt. At the cross, he took my shame, because there is a story on the other side of the cross. And I sing, lead me to the cross, and the cross leads me to a life that is radical and sacrificial, just like the cross was. Does that make sense? Is that, and I want to go down that track today. Why do I preach the gospel? I sat down this week and I asked myself, why do I preach the gospel? Me. And I want to tell you my prayer for myself, my prayer for you as a people, is that we would be a people where our life and our ministry has a radical flavor of the cross. A radical flavor that is risk-taking. Risk-taking. Would we be a risk-taking people? Would we be a people that are gutsy, countercultural? Where where it's it's there's this wartime flavor to us. See, when we forget the cross and we only save it for Easter, we lose the reality that we are at wartime all the time. That when we walk the streets, we aren't fighting with human weapons, we are fighting with the Spirit of God. It's powerful for our nation. Why do we preach the gospel? Because I think there is this journey of being tender and tough as a believer in the gospel, in the cross, in Jesus. And as we walk this road of tenderness and toughness, some people will be caught off guard by that dynamic. But why? Because inside of that, there is a flavor of Jesus. Inside of that, there is an individual captivated by the gospel, again, afresh and new in every part. And, And Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And he carries on, he says, you are the light of the world. What was he referring to? Was it just just a nice little hashtag, Twitter quote that he wanted? No, he'd just spoken in the verse that preceded that. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, then salt and light. This Christian walk needs courage, needs strength, needs a journey where we are so captivated by the cross, but it calls us into a bigger story, to a great story called the gospel life. So we've been navigating, Could we put the aircons on a little bit? Is that all right? Is it just me? Am I burning up here? Hot flash. It's all good. I got it. I got it. Age. But part of the, you know what the challenge of the cross is? There's the challenge of the cross. Be glad when you are persecuted. Be glad when you are slandered. The challenge of the gospel is that we can talk about that that, that actually the challenge is it calls us to live a foreign countercultural life in a world where people are living for health, wealth, and happiness. I think sometimes we can do exactly the same thing and call it all for the glory of God. But the world sees through that. They see into the depths of our story more than we realize they have radars for that stuff. This is why I preach the gospel. And at these moments, I love the benefits of the cross. That in that moment he absorbed the wrath of God and he pleased his heavenly father and he learned obedience and was perfected in that moment. I love all the benefits and I would highly recommend you go and read John Piper's book. But I think there was a potency to the cross that completely changed the world. And why do I preach the gospel? Because I want that potency for your life and I want it for my life. That not just in church moments, but in every moment as we walk the streets, people SMS, I'm in your street, I need help, I think you can help. Why? Because the gospel is potent. Because that story and his blood that has washed me pulls us into a bigger story. As you walk into business meetings, it starts off about bottom, end, bottom line, it starts off about profit, but by the end of the meeting, you are ministering to a broken soul. Why? Because we are plugged into the source of life that is Jesus. So I'm just overflowing a little bit, is this all right? I feel like I'm speaking to the church before Easter. I keep getting it wrong. It's a problem when you joke about something too often, you end up getting it wrong. It's terrible. But I think, what is the world waiting to see this Easter? Greater productions. We, we work hard to do our best. Are they, are they waiting for more meetings and all these kinds of... I think they're looking for something radical. I think they're looking for something Risky. Is your Christianity, is your following Jesus a little bit risky? I think they're looking for something sacrificial. They're looking for the sacrifice. They're looking for the something that reveals Jesus. Is it a little bit uncomfortable? Is it a little bit extraordinary in its love? So amazed. And as people engage and I hear stories of God's grace, is it a little bit salty and a little bit light? And I want to talk this Easter, because the gospel that we proclaim is radical. It means the believers, he's calling to walk in that gospel, is radical. There's nothing convenient about the cross. There was nothing easy. There was nothing cheap. Actually, it's completely the opposite. Incredibly inconvenient, unbelievably difficult, and painfully uncomfortable. I want to read a section from Isaiah 53 all about Jesus a prophecy about Jesus surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering yet we considered him punished by God stricken him and afflicted stricken by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed yet he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth And he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I go, Jesus, why didn't you open your mouth? But that's not my journey. My journey is to be like him. It's a challenge. See, I think sometimes we we get very good enjoying the benefits package as the church. And this is, I don't know, it feels a little bit strong, but I felt like before Easter, God wants to call us to the big story. We can get a little bit like Christian Burger King. I'll have one portion of wealth. I'll have an extra upsized portion of health and happiness. And I'll have a bottomless, why not health and wealth and happiness all over again. It can't be. Not when I look at Jesus, not when I understand the life that he calls us in. And I want to speak to us today from one scripture that I'm telling you has become more about us than it is about him. It's from Romans 12, verse 1. Paul is writing, the apostle Paul, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. I I love this scripture. This scripture has been so a part of key moments in my life. But here's my fear. We love part two. Can we keep that scripture up? That is about us discovering the will of God for our lives. Unfortunately, we live in a narcissistic world where it's all about us and we're at the center So when we come to the word and we come to a scripture like this It's about god revealing his will for my life because actually at the end of the day. It's about me Is that just me I sometimes I know it's me often But actually when I read the scripture, it's in the light of this incredible verse one. He says therefore What is therefore? It means something's gone before says therefore in view of God's mercy, he's talking about Romans chapter one to eleven. It's all about God's grace. It's all about God's goodness. It's all about what God has pulled off of us—the sin and the, the sin and the shame He's taken away from us. He says in the view of all of that that I've been teaching you for eleven chapters, I urge you, as true worshippers of God, make yourself a living sacrifice. I. This thing of sacrifice is something given up. It's, it's a, in its historical context, we spoke about it. It's an animal that was given as a sacrifice for my sin and my shame. And it carries this connotation of death and atonement in all of it. But a living sacrifice is an astonishing concept. It's an oxymoron that catches us. It's Jesus. I don't know about you, but Jesus was my living sacrifice. He went there and he made no noise. Went to that cross for me. It's got to shatter some of my understanding, especially when I process verse 2, which is about me finding out God's perfect, pleasing and goodwill for my life. I think sometimes people are crying out, Lord, show me your will, but actually I'm not going to bend on any front. I'm not going to bend on any front. When you show me the will, then I'll assess the benefits package and I'll enter into the story on the other side once I've done the equation. But when I read the gospel, he says, in the view of chapters 1 to 11, go read Romans 1 to 11. It's incredible. He expounds on his grace and his goodness. He says, therefore, it's a call to surrender our lives as living sacrifices. You know what? We live in a, in a country where we don't get necessarily huge abuse for being Christians. We don't. Maybe you feel like you do sometimes in the marketplace on that. But uh, a couple of weeks ago in the Middle East, people do. The conference I went to, three of the people that were invited to be there and organise visas got bounced at the airport just because they were, thought they were coming to that moment. People were getting sent home because they were getting their faith. There were people that were giving their lives that they had to strategize ways to get back into life because once the people that they walked with found out, they would be murdered for their faith. Jeez, see, Mark's a bit serious today. He's a bit angry. I, I, I'm not at all angry just passionate about Jesus, and I'm passionate about people carrying that flavor of the gospel in every part of our lives. And I realize sometimes that we can water it down. Ah, This guy, Paul. You know Paul. He was Scottish. You know that, eh? You know you want it. You know you want it, eh? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Ah! And it, it's this wild, radical man. This guy, Paul, this Scottish guy, if you didn't know. You can read the commentaries. And, um, but he's wild and he's ragged. He talks about the power of God. He says, I want to live this life. It's this guy that calls us to, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. How could he call us to that story? You know where his story started? And some of you are nodding because you do. In Acts chapter 7, we see the first living sacrifice for the gospel named Stephen. And Stephen standing there. Who is Stephen? He's not this big lining for the gospel. Some of you are like, Yeah, oh, if they were gonna kill anyone in the church, it'd be you first, Mark. You first. They come. They're going to want you first. Stephen wasn't the head of the church. He wasn't an apostle. Just said he was full of power. Said he was full of faith. He served and he made sure that the poor got food. He made sure that relationships, issues in the church got dealt with. He was a deacon in the life of the church. But he was full of courage. And, and they come to him because he's preaching the gospel with power. He's declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. And they won't, he won't stop. He won't back down. So they come to him. They get guys to make up a story. And they bring him for, before the judges. They're lying about him. It's lies. And he knows that the result of their accusations, if he gets proven guilty, it's death. Everyone knew that. Sometimes we don't live with that reality. But here's the reality in the light of spiritual eyes. When we don't preach the gospel and we back down from the gospel, there is death somewhere. Whether it's the neighbor we're not speaking to, whether it's the person at work we're not speaking to, there's death there. We've got to live with the reality that the gospel and Easter calls us to a big story. But who's standing there? The guys who are wanting to stone him. The guys who are ripping him and take him outside of the city. Who's standing there? They take their jackets off. It's this guy, Paul. This fearless guy who says, actually, you want to know the will of God? Well, understand this. The call is to be a living sacrifice. And I've seen it firsthand. And I think Paul, the way he lived his life, he had a bit of a, 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 not a suicide, but he had a, a mission in his life. He was shipwrecked how many times, beaten, whipped, stoned. He didn't back down from anything. Why? Because he'd seen something that was so authentic, so real, and so powerful in Stephen. It captivated him, gripped him again by the gospel. I just want to say, I love the fact that Stephen was an apostle. Rank was of no consequence to God. It's of no consequence. You know what Isaiah 66 says? These are those I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. I want to read from Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sedhedion heard this, and, and Stephen's been preaching the gospel, he won't back down. And he has this amazing line that probably, if you want to get people cross, it's called them this you stiff necked people. It's like it's, it's a, if you're trying to get someone to soften on their position, that's not the one. That this is how it went. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their eyes and yelling at the top of their voices. It's kind of like a crazy movie scene. They all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. You know the amazing thing about the scripture, and I've known it for years, but it just gripped me recently. Because in every reference to Jesus in Ephesians and John and Mark, it speaks of Jesus, the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of God. In this story, Jesus is standing. What moved Jesus? What keeps moving Jesus? When we would understand this scripture from Romans 12, that it's not about us. It's about him and his glory and every action where we are able to get ourselves out of the way and allow people to see him. This scene plays out in my head, and I've got an imagination sometimes it runs wild. But Stephen is there, and he's been falsely accused, and Jesus is on his turn. He's going, that's, that's the Son of God. And he's watching, and they're accusing, and Jesus goes, I, I know, but look at him. He's not fighting back. Look at him. And Jesus, he's on the edge of a seat, and they're saying, Will you deny? Will you deny? And Stephen doesn't turn. And and Jesus is on the edge of a seat, and they say, This is the moment. Stephen knows exactly what's going to happen. And the first stone comes and hits him against the head, and he doesn't deny. And the second stone comes, and he's just quiet. And Jesus stands, says, There it is. I ask them to follow me. You know what had just happened before this? Ananias and Sapphira. What had just happened before this? A whole bunch of disciples getting and losing the plot the minute Jesus left the story. He hadn't had a whole bunch of successes in the story to this point. Yes, people have got saved in Acts 3 and all of that, but he sees a man who's just an ordinary man, just full of the Spirit of God. He sees him just take the stones. Take the stones. Take the accusations. I don't know about you, but I live in a world where when someone accuses me and I'm falsely accused, the stone they've thrown at me is not big enough. I go and find a bigger one. I take a bigger run up and I dump it on them. I want to. That's the world I live in. But in this situation, in this picture, where the gospel is so gripped to man, and verse 2 comes after verse 1 where he says, I just want to be like Jesus. And who was Jesus? Like a lamb led to the slaughter. He made no sound says, I want to be like Jesus. I remember Claudia when she left last year for Georgia. Remember Claudia at a leader's meeting? I said, Claudia, tell us. She said, you know what? If this is the moment that I don't come home, because I'm going to go preach the gospel at 72. I don't want to overstate. Is that right? <laughs> Give me a thumbs up. 73. 73 years old. The lady says, I'm going to take... The money that I have, buy a ticket to Georgia. And if I don't come home because I'm preaching the gospel, then Jesus, have all the glory. Like, wow. You see, the cross was inconvenient. What do I love? Convenience. The cross was uncomfortable. What do I love? Comfort. This is the gospel. Here's what I want from my life. And I want it for your life. And I think it's going to look different for all of us that the king of kings is on his throne and he's looking he says i'm going to lead you to the cross i'm going to bring you to the cross but then the cross is going to lead you to a life that looks radical and a life that looks sacrificial and like stephen just an ordinary guy part of the team when you rise and you reveal him see i think why jesus stood i think there were lots of reasons he loved him we know that he was proud of him, he saw. But I think for the first time in the story after the cross, he sees someone who's so committed to the gospel, unwavering in their faith, unwavering in their belief of the goodness of the gospel and the promise that was beyond death. So unwavering. Someone who just believed these words, follow me. It's discipleship at the end. Jesus loved him. Yes, and faith moves it. And I found this quote that was so challenging to me this week by a now named Howard Guinness. Back in 1936. Where are the young men. I, by the way I didn't hear this first time. There's a quote from a book. Some of you are a bit confused. Where are the young men. And women of this generation. Who will hold their lives cheap. And be faithful even unto death. Who will lose their lives for Christ's, Flinging them away. For love of him. Where are those who will live dangerously. And be reckless in their service. Where are the men of prayer. Where are the men who count God's word of importance to them, more importance to them than of their daily food? Where are the men who, like Moses of old, commune with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend? Where are God's men in this day of power? The radical gospel leads to a radical life, which leads to Jesus standing, saying, that's a son of God, that's a daughter of the king. I want to tell you what I think some of this looks like because fortunately at this stage anyway, we don't live in a world where Christians are being stoned for their faith. But actually, what does it look like? I'm trying to find it so I can tell you now. But we become to become a living sacrifice is to offer all that we are to God's service, no matter the cost. I don't know about you, but I'm good at counting the cost. Am I the only one? There's an action. I've got to count the cost. I've got to lay up the scenarios. I do a whole bunch of scenario planning. There's a cost. I want to live a sacrificial life where my decisions are based on godly biblical counsel rather than the counsel of Cosmo and Men's Health. I want to live a sacrificial life where my approach when I encounter people is with grace and truth, not with fear and doubt. Stephen didn't throw those stones back. Does that catch you? It grips me. If I think back on my life, this mouth, you've heard it before, but this mouth that gets to preach the gospel, this mouth through stones was very accurate. was very damaging. But the grace of God. I want to live a sacrificial life where he strive through the hands and feet of Jesus in a lost and suffering world. Our nation right now are hurting. They're hurting. And they're looking to you and the flavor on your life that brings glory to the King for answers. To live a sacrificial life, to make difficult decisions, to do the right things the right way, and not to take shortcuts. To live a sacrificial life as we place the needs of others above ourselves. We find love for others in spite of their politics, their preferences, or their prejudices. And we'd be prepared to suffer for the gospel. What does it mean to live a radical life? It's all because of the cross. I just, I don't know why I wanted to preach this. I actually prepared a whole nother preach on how... The cross heals our scars. But I want to call us as believers because I know on Friday and Sunday because you're an incredibly inviting people, we will have unbelievers here and we will tell them about the benefits of the gospel. We'll tell them about Jesus. But I want to call us to a life that is so authentically Jesus, so authentically powerful, it'll change the nation that are looking for answers. See, That scripture I used to preach about being a worshiper in spirit and truth. I used to preach about these are the worshippers, true worshippers of God. I don't know what it is to be a true worshiper of God until I've suffered for the gospel. Until I've made decisions that were unpopular with people who love me. I don't know what it is to be a true worshiper of God sometimes until actually the stones have been thrown and I didn't pick them up and threw them back. That's what a worshiper of God looks like. You want to know the will of God, the good, perfect, and pleasing God? Become a worshiper. And let us take that job and that privilege so seriously. And the only way we do that is still being captivated by the cross. Captivated by the King. Making decisions that bring Him glory. Can I pray? I know we're a little all over this morning. Lord, have your glory, King. I'm the first to confess in this place, Lord. I love comfort. I'm a creature of convenience. And yet, God, I've seen too much to not want to fall before your grace, your goodness, your glory, the wonder of who you are again. I pray as you are stirring hearts today, that image of Stephen would captivate us. Just a man. Too many In the church, discounting themselves from stories of greatness for your glory. I think, God, your scale, your lens is so different to ours. Sometimes it's the person who gets up at four in the morning to pray for a nation that is bleeding. And I think you're on the edge of your seat. I think you're there. Look at them. Inconvenient, uncomfortable, costly. Look at them. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you that your blood has set us free. That we don't wear a cloak of shame and guilt anymore. That I've received a robe of righteousness. And I thank you that your cross sends me out to live a life that looks like your life, Jesus. Radical and sacrificial in every step. I pray for us as a church today, God, that this would be the flavor. That this would be a community of testimony after testimony of men and women making decisions to worship you. To be True worshippers of the King of Kings. We love you, God. And as we step into this season, we with Good Friday coming and next weekend, I pray God, we'd be overwhelmed and captivated by the cross again. We worship you, Jesus. Amen.